Welcome to Ask the Pastors, a segment of the West Hills podcast, where you have the opportunity to ask your questions and receive biblically grounded, pastorally sensitive answers from our pastoral staff. My name is Brian. I'm your host and pastor of worship. I'm joined by our lead pastor, Will. Yo, yo. And our pastor of youth and connections, Thad. Hey, everyone. So today we're going to be uh, actually addressing three questions from one of our members named Lassin. Question number one is, where is my soul? Question number two, should Christians drink alcohol? And number three, is capitalism compatible with Christianity? Got some great questions today. Pastor yeah. Will, you want to start us with yeah. uh, where's my soul? The Lassen grab bag. We're just combining <laughs> all three of her, like you said, great questions. No um, underlying theme here other than Lassen asked all of them, and they are great questions. So where is my soul? Uh, wow. Uh, a big question. It, it is an interesting question. I don't know if I had honestly ever thought of this question in those exact terms until she asked it. But I think the short answer, I'll try and answer all of them with a one word or short answer. Um, no, one word. You said okay. That would be so, so interesting. So one word would be embodied <laughs> because all we can say conclusively biblically is that your soul while you are alive lives inside your body. I think beyond that, um, it's hard to say too much conclusively. Uh, I would probably speculate that our soul resides somewhere, um, maybe within our brain, based on how the Bible talks about our soul and the sort of qualities of what makes a soul a soul. Um, But it's clearly distinct from our mind, our brain, our heart, from every other kind of part of our body. So uh, here is my favorite gotquestions.org little rundown on this. They say, simply stated, human soul is part of the person that is not physical. It is part of every human being uh, that lasts eternally after the body experiences death. So Genesis 35, 18 describes the death of Rachel, Jacob's wife, saying she named her son as her soul was departing. From this, we know that the soul is different from the body and that it continues to live after physical death. You think also of Jesus in Matthew 10, 28, um, when we hear, you know, Jesus said, we are not to fear men, but to fear the one who can kill not only the body, but the soul, um, who is, of course, God. So soul distinct from body. Human soul is central to the personhood of human being, as George MacDonald said, and I've quoted this in sermons before here. You don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. In other words, Hmm. personhood is not based on having a body. Your body changes on average every like seven years. I think the longest cell in your body lives something like 30 years. So, you know, I'm 37 years old. Uh, That uh, if my personhood was connected in some way to my body, I would be a completely different person today than I was born. And that's, you know, what is the, that consistent part of us that, um, that, that still changes. Yes. I mean, because we change as people, Mm -hmm. but we wouldn't say that I was born Will Duvall and now I'm not Will Duvall or a different Will, you know, I'm, Mm -hmm. there's that consistent part, um, that, that is our soul. Uh, that's who we are. So in other words, um, personhood, not based on having a body, a soul is what is required. Repeatedly in the Bible, people are referred to as souls, Exodus 31, 14, Proverbs 11.30, especially in contexts that focus on the value of human life and personhood, 
or on the concept of a whole being. Uh, the human soul seems to be distinct from the heart. You can look at Deuteronomy 26, 16, 30, verse 6. Um, human soul is uh, distinct from the mind. Matthew 22, 37, where Jesus you know, says, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, strength. Right. So it's it's got to be different enough that he lists it in mm -hmm. a different category. But even human soul is distinct from the spirit. So you think of 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and Hebrews 4, 12 in particular, um, that, that talks about God's word being living and active and piercing to the division, dividing soul from spirit. <laughs> Obviously, mm -hmm. soul has to be different than spirit if you if God's word divides them. So, but Scripture isn't super clear on the distinction between soul and spirit, um, and some people yeah. sort of conflate those two, and it's often confused. So, I think we have to have a healthy dose of humility with all of this. Um, but again, the the one thing that we can say is that we are souls, and our souls are eternal. Um, that our souls live within our bodies while we're here on Earth when we die as we talked about last week in mm -hmm. last week's podcast episode, body decomposes, waits for the final resurrection of new glorified bodies while soul, our souls go on to one of two places. And that's where I think Thad left us last week with the Jesus juke. I mean, where is your soul going? Heaven, hell, mm -hmm. those are the only two yeah. you know, destinations. So where's your soul now in your body? The most important question though is where's your soul going? So. That's my Jesus shoe. You want to <laughs> add anything to the "Where is your soul?" question? I I think your your embodied one word answer is is, is helpful. Um, mm -hmm. That there's been um, even recent books written about you know what what makes a person personhood. That idea, I think. Uh, Greg Allison, uh, professor at, at Southern Seminary, has recently written on this, conveying a lot of those ideas as well as how it makes us distinct from other aspects of creation about uh, where do dogs go when they die, which we can answer that on another fun kids episode. Great question. Um, yep. But <laughs> it, it's, it's a good question. But yeah. as far as our souls it embodied, it, it's part of what makes us us, that people can think about. It. It, it's the stuff that makes us human in, in, in a mm -hmm. sense. And I, I appreciate the, the got questions, resources, and, and how it, it lays it out that human soul where it is inside of us that all of us have one and you know i i don't know if i could pick a place within our body whether it's our brain or our heart or yeah. just embodied inside of us in some capacity um but yeah very helpful and got questions says you know the two things that last forever the word of god mark 13 31 and the souls of men and what a great reminder that hmm. Uh, to commission us to care about souls of people, that everyone we interact with has a soul that will spend eternity somewhere. Yeah, I think the it's only thing I'd rather add to, to, to on that point is because it's eternal. To me, when I think about what is it, that question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Again, could do a whole other podcast on that. But what does it mean that we're made in the image of God? Um, I think the shortest answer to that question is, that we have a soul, you know, the, the fact, not have, again, that we are souls. The fact that we are our hmm. souls is um, a reflection of our being made in, in God's image because, like you said, or alluded to, Thad, that, you know, 
no other cre creature in creation um, is a soul, has a soul, um, in the same way that we understand that, that we are unique in, in that way. And it's the seed of our personhood, it's the deepest part of us. So in all those ways, I think, you know, and, and because it's eternal. Mm. You know, God is eternal. God made us for eternity. Um, and, um, and, and like you said, will God's word and, and our, our souls will, and God obviously himself, um, are eternal. And so, yeah, I, I, so much more we could get into there. But mm. um, on the strict question of where is our souls, I think that's embodied. We, we just have to have a lot of humility. And, uh, yeah. But it's a, it's a fascinating question to, to think through. Um, you know, could mm. could that one day with technology somehow show up on a brain scan or something? You know, it's it's a it's a crazy concept to think mm -hmm. about. And it's gonna you know all other sorts of tangential, great ask the pastor questions that you could spin off into mm -hmm. as far as artificial intelligence and how is consciousness relate to you know personhood and a soul and embodiedness and you know. I mean, Cloning. Any number, yeah, you know, um, Black Mirror episodes of being able to capture someone's mm -hmm. consciousness and sort of personhood out, aside from their body so that it sort of survives death or something like that. Would that, where does the soul fit into that equation? I mean, there's just lots of, lots of different interesting and If topics. that's your question, feel free to submit it. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to submitting questions. Yep. Well, great. Um, Question number two, should Christians drink alcohol? Thad, were you starting us off with this one? Um, let's keep going with just the one-word answers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. To start it. No pressure. I mean, just um, Yes or no? Possibly. Maybe? Possibly. Okay. Maybe. Um, I I think it's important to... I'll, I'll try to condense this quickly of what the Scripture says about uh, alcohol and wine and, and strong drink and, and all of those and, and some that come to mind. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, Romans 14.21. Uh, it is good to, it is good not to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Hosea 4.11, beware of wine and new wine, which take away the understanding. Ezekiel 44.21, no priest shall drink wine when he enters the inner courts. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Uh, and the list of kind of negative connotations towards alcohol can go on and on and on. And then you have mm -hmm. different passages like Ecclesiastes 9-7 that instruct from, to drink wine and with a merry heart or, or God and... Um, God gives wine that makes glad the hearts of men, Psalm 104, 14. And they continue. You have the Apostle Paul uh, encouraging uh, Timothy to take wine for his stomach. You have Jesus in the Gospels making wine at the wedding celebration. And so that's kind of a a quick, any other verses you either of you want to add to, to the list of, of what we have in the scriptures? Uh, talking about alcohol, wine, drinking. Yeah, um, so many, too many, like you said. To, um, this this question probably has the most verses. Oh, yeah. About mm -hmm. By far, yeah. So yeah. many. I mean, obviously, when we get into capitalism, there's a lot about wealth and money, but uh, even more, but, but not that economic system specifically. Mm -hmm. But yeah, drinking alcohol, 
Leviticus 10, 9, number 6, 3, Deuteronomy 29, 6, Judges 13, 4, uh, Proverbs 1, yeah, you mentioned that one, Proverbs 31, 4. I want to mention that one a second, or end with that. Isaiah 5, 11, and verse 22, Isaiah 24, 9, 28, 7, 29, 9, 56, 12. I'm not going to read all those, but there's a lot about alcohol in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that I'll, I'll quickly, you know, a couple others that, are pro-alcohol, Amos 9.14, um, discusses drinking wine from your own vineyard as a sign of God's blessing. Isaiah 55.1 encourages us, yes, come, buy wine and milk. Um, uh, yeah, looking at my got questions reference here, what God commands Christians regarding alcohol to avoid is drunkenness. Um, Bible condemns drunkenness and its effects. Ephesians 5.18, Proverbs 23, uh, 29-35. Christians are also commanded to not allow our bodies to be mastered by anything. That's 1 Corinthians 6.12 mm-hmm. and 2 Peter 2.19. Mm-hmm. Drinking alcohol is in excess is undeniably addictive. Um, scripture also forbids a Christian from doing anything that might offend other Christians or encourage them to sin against their conscience. So you think of all the stumbling block passages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14. Um, in light of these principles, it would be extremely difficult for any Christian to say he is drinking alcohol in excess to the glory of God. Think of 1 Corinthians 10, mm. 31. You know, whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. Mm. You know, but it's hard to imagine <laughs> getting drunk. And, uh, for the for glory, glory of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you mentioned the flip sure. side. Jesus did change water to wine. Um, Paul instructed Timothy, mix a little wine in with your water so you don't get sick. Um, and that probably says more about the water conditions in mm-hmm. the first century than it does about, you know, pro-wine or pro-alcohol. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I, there's, those are, I think, definitely the, mm-hmm. the biggest passages that come to mind. I guess the one that really, because um, I'm with you, Thad, uh, maybe, you know, if it doesn't violate conscience, if it doesn't violate someone else's conscience in a stumbling block kind of way, especially if you're... Um, in a gathering with them, you know, I can just speak personally as a pastor, you know, we have people come over, we love to host and have new people only been at the church a few weeks or something like that. We'll have people over for dinner or something. And, um, you know, I'll say, Hey, can I get you a drink? We got water, sparkling water, beer, wine. And that's kind of my, my typical like, uh, thing. And, and, but then I'll immediately kind of say like, I don't don't know if you drink, I don't presume anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, but I don't want them to, I, I, to me, it's a way of me being honest and transparent about mm-hmm. where I am on, on the position of, of drinking and for me personally, and um, don't feel like it's, it's, a, it's a stumbling block for me or a addiction or a uh, kind of thing that I, praise God, have to be super worried about. But, but then you mm-hmm. think about like when it comes to um, in, in our worship services here, I mean, Jesus himself seem, seems to have drunk wine, at least in the context of the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, mm-hmm. verse 29. Yep. Um, you know, this cup is, is my blood. And, you know, he's not talking about grape juice. He's, it's wine. And so um, I think uh, e- even in thinking through that for us strategically as a church, though, you know, I want to be sensitive. And we have been sensitive to the fact that, I mean, I, I, I could name you a half dozen members of West Hills that um, 
uh, identify as recovering alcoholics, been through AA, all of that. And, you know, certainly that would be a stumbling block thing if we, you know, had wine as a part of our worship service anymore today. Um, I, again, not to obviously, I'm just going to assume that Jesus didn't have any alcoholics in his, you know, group of band of 12, or he would have been sensitive to that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, if we had a church of, of only 12 people and I knew them all personally enough to know, like, okay, nobody's got an issue with this. Yeah, I mean, I, we've, we've done alcohol at, at certain life group gatherings or things like that, but I, you know, I always want to err on the side of being really sensitive and, um, and above reproach with anything like mm-hmm. that. So, um, yeah, the the one other verse I wanted to include and get y'all's thoughts on is Proverbs thirty one verses four through seven, um, that says, "It is not for kings, O Lemuel, uh, it, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to taste strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing and." wine to those in bitter distress, let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. It's interesting even wow. hearing you quote Ecclesiastes 9-7, you know, drink your mm-hmm. wine with a merry heart, and then hearing what Proverbs 31 says about it, you know, the context of Ecclesiastes is sort of like pretty dark and mm-hmm. pretty kind of depressing. Yeah. It's like, again, even Ecclesiastes 9 is all about death. That mm-hmm. was last week, so or two weeks ago. So it's yeah, you're thinking, um, you know, and here Proverbs 31 is telling us, you know, give, give, give the wine, give the drink to the the folks that are that are depressed and down mm-hmm. in the dumps um, to help them forget their sorrows. That kind of maybe seems like part of what Solomon's point is in Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. nine too. So, I guess my my two questions about that are, are two sort of thoughts, and for us to maybe kick around for a minute at least is, you know, um, I think if I, maybe part of what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 5.18 about not getting drunk on wine, but getting drunk on the Spirit. You know, because you think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, but it's joy is one of the fruits mm-hmm. of the Spirit. So one of the questions I would certainly want to ask myself if I was drinking, and I do drink, but uh, is um, why am I doing this? You mm-hmm. know, am I doing this to like drink my sorrows away? And dr- Because mm-hmm. it does seem like in the Old Testament, there's a couple places that's like, yeah, man, if you're just too depressed, like you need some wine. But now we have we have the Holy Spirit living mm-hmm. in us. We have the fruit of the Spirit, we have, which should be joy. And so I shouldn't need to drink to drown my sorrows. Um, and I would want to be really careful about that as, as a Christian. Um, and the other second test of it with this Proverbs 31 in particular, where he talks about don't don't give a strong drink to kings because they they have to be able to govern, um, and so I think about that too as a pastor. You know, sober minded, uh, being sober minded, mm-hmm. and I think about you know like my dad growing up was on on call at the hospital just about every other night. I mean, he had one partner in his practice, so he's like on call every other night. He's that means he he only had the opportunity to even think about drinking every other night of the week because. He wasn't going to go in and, and do surgery or, mm-hmm. you know, see somebody in a medical emergency when he's, you know, a mm-hmm. couple sheets to the wind. So for me as a pastor, you know, and for us as pastors having this conversation, we're mm-hmm. in a sense, we're always on call, you know. And so I have to think about that, you know, if I've had one one beer, you know, before I had that second beer or second glass of wine, whatever, it's like, 
if I got a call half an hour from now from somebody whose spouse just died um, and they needed me to come over and pray with them, would I would I be fit to do that if I have this second beer, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever? Mm-hmm. So I think that, that that's maybe the principle that um, that uh, uh, is that we're getting at in Proverbs thirty one mm-hmm. there um, with with being a leader. Should a mm-hmm. leader be mm-hmm. drinking? That there there is a little bit of a different standard that about need mm-hmm. to be sober minded. Never knowing when duty's going to call. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's any other thoughts y'all have on that? I I would add, you know. As far as the the knowing the book and the scriptures, that that's something I would encourage all Christians to do. That they need to come to their own conviction and how the Spirit's leading them. And there is in the Bible overall mainly caution about alcohol and what it can do to one. And so individuals need to know how how it is they're going to react that they may react very differently to one beer compared to someone else and all of our bodies are different and i think that question you ask is why am i doing this is it to forget something is it to give in to the pressure of i want to fit in with this group so i'm going to drink with them because that's what they do is is it because of x factor what is the reason we're doing this or are we enjoying it for the fact that God has given us many drinks that we can enjoy and partake in for for his glory. But I would also just emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. That it says, do not be drunk with wine. Do not get drunk. And drunkenness is that of foolishness. It's not wise living. And if there's a Christian who is getting drunk, I'd encourage you to stop because that is leading you towards sin and disobeying an explicit command in the scriptures. But I think it's something that individuals have to ask and answer and search the scriptures and ask the spirit for guidance on that mm-hmm. and ask for wisdom from pastors and other individuals. How have you handled this? As well as I think this question mostly came up for me in my teenage years of, well, how come it's I have to be this old to drink? What changes when I get to to this age and sure. versus caring about uh, what the Bible actually says? And I think Christian parents need to have better answers than, well, that's just the law right. for, yeah. for their kids. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And what would you guys say to the listener who sees these passages as seemingly contradicting one another, maybe erring on the side more of holding these scriptures in tension with each other saying don't drink but also uh, drink and be merry I guess how would how would you respond to the listener who thinks that these passages seemingly contradict one another just briefly here I think the the better word than contradiction is tension like you mentioned there's a lot of tension on a lot of points in the Bible and this is one of them but um yeah, I think the truth is is always in the tension on any of these things. Uh, but but yeah, um, I would again reiterate the Bible nowhere uh, cl- clearly condemns drinking alcohol, and in many places seems to clearly applaud it uh, in, in in some regard. And so, um, it, it I think biblically, alcohol is treated as a good gift from a good God to be used within good boundaries, good parameters. Thank you. Um, Last question. Uh, Number three, is capitalism compatible with Christianity? Pastor Wellman starts off. One word answer. One word answer, yes. Uh, If, again, the key word there being compatible, which I understand compatible to mean, you know, can it 
square with, fit with, play within mm-hmm. um, a Christian's worldview? Uh, can a Christian be a capitalist, be pro-capitalism? Um, you know, if, if it was, is capitalism required by Christianity or the, the best economic system for cap, for Christianity or something like that, maybe a different answer. But yeah, I, yes, capitalism is clearly compatible with, again, I'm going to defer to people who have more expertise and have done more research. So let me read for us to get us started, at least um, a couple paragraphs from Got Questions on, on this one. Dictionary defines capitalism as an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods by investments that are determined by private decision and by prices, production, distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market. While the Bible doesn't mention capitalism by name, it does speak a good deal about economic issues. Um, For example, sections of the book of Proverbs, many of the parables of Jesus deal with economic matters. We learn what our attitude should be toward wealth, how Christians should handle finances. Uh, But the Bible also provides us with a description of our human nature, which helps us to evaluate the possible sources, uh, sorry, possible success of and failure of any economic system in a society. When we use the Bible as our framework, we construct a model of government and uh, economy that liberates human potential and limits human sinfulness. Uh, Genesis 1.28, God says we are to subdue the earth, have dominion over it. One aspect of this is that we can own property and exercise our dominion over it. Since we have both volition, private property rights, we can assume we should have the freedom to exchange these private property rights in a free market where goods and services can be exchanged. Um, And so then they say, however, due to ravages of sin, uh, we see shortcomings in in any economic system. Capitalism is no different. Uh, Christians often wonder if they can support capitalism. In essence, self-interest is rewarded in a free capitalist system. One of the major moral arguments then against capitalism is greed, which is explicitly outlawed in the Bible. We shouldn't be greedy, uh, and which is why many Christians feel unsure about such a free enterprise system. Critics of capitalism contend that this system makes people greedy. But we should ask whether capitalism makes people greedy or are we already greedy, and then we use economic freedom to achieve those ends. In light of the biblical descriptions of human nature, the latter seems to be the case because People are sinful and selfish. Some are going to use capitalism to satisfy their greed, but that is not so much a critique of capitalism as it is a realization of the human condition. The goal of capitalism then is not to change bad people uh, into good people, but to protect us from bad people. Capitalism is a system in which bad people can do the least harm and good people have the most freedom to do good works. and so, anyway, could keep, could keep going from there. Uh, but, oh, this is a, one last that I'll read that's, I think, very important. It's important to realize that there is a difference between self-interest and selfishness. All people have self-interest, which can operate in ways that are not inherently selfish. For example, it's in our self-interest to get a job, earn income, so that we can support a family. We can do that in ways that are not inherently selfish. Uh, by contrast, other economic systems, such as socialism, ignore the biblical definitions of human nature, um, and that's, that's where I think, you know, really, if, if I can pull in my own thoughts now and kind of summarize some of this, I think what you're trying to do with any economic system is really mitigate the effects of human sinfulness and mm-hmm. fallenness and um, depravity that we talked about with the Cal- Calvinism episode a while back, total depravity. So given 
a biblical worldview that people are inherently sinful um, and, 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 and selfish unless the Spirit's at work to make us not selfish. Um, how, do we, how do we mitigate that? How do we mitigate the damage and the effects of it? And I, mm-hmm. I think that's what most of us would recognize about capitalism versus... Really, I tried to do some research for this today, and the only other two economic systems I was even coming up with were socialism and communism. And so I'd be interested if maybe some of our financial people, economists at the church, n- know of some other even viable options of economic systems we could even debate between. But, um, but between those three, certainly capitalism seems to be the least dangerous in terms of um, kind of like democracy, where mm-hmm. you've got we're all sinful, we're all self-interested and selfish, but, but at least we've got each other to hold one another in check. You think of like the plurality of elders mm, and, totally. and leadership of a church. Like it's really dangerous to just let one person be in charge. And so you think about how that would play out in, in an economic system. It's really dangerous to have the means of production invested in just a few bureaucrats. Um, Mm. in a socialist or a communist type of scenario where the government is the one dictating, you know, who's going to work what job and and who gets how much resources and and all that sort of thing. So at least this way, all of our sinfulness kind of keeps each other in check. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's uh, kind of a a skeptical but but really honest, realistic kind of take on it uh i don't know thad you want to jump in extra thoughts on that yeah i think in in researching for this question the the two objections that i saw raised consistently about why some would even argue that it's not compatible with christianity is the greed aspect that it promotes greed which you've already discussed and the other is that it treats people as commodities uh, that it's not caring for other individuals, that it's very selfish versus caring for one's self-interest and hmm. in that. And I think like like with, with any kind of question about this is we need to look at it through a biblical world lens and ask those kind of questions about how are we interacting with those people? Are, are we caring about our, our own greed, our own wealth, our own self-interest? How are we treating those individuals around us that, mm-hmm. like you said, socialism, communism, those, those don't seem like really great options to, to think through in, yeah. in some of these as far as which one is most compatible with, with Christianity. But uh, asking those questions, you know, I think of a lot of the um, Old Testament prophets uh, that some of the uh, indictments raised against Israel is their lack of care for individuals and their greed and their the other being their worship of other gods. They're turning away from Yahweh. But those those other two, the not caring for individuals and their own greed were were brought against them as sins against God and and that we need to be careful and cautious in that. But I don't think capitalism is incompatible with Christianity. Yeah. yeah. I, the the other third maybe big argument against capitalism biblically would be just the recognition, the honest recognition that, um, you know, in, in the earliest church, when the church was at its most successful and fastest growing and most missional and thriving, whatever, um, it, the, the church itself as a microcosm of the wider society, of course, uh, was 
was not operating under capitalist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, rules and philosophy. It totally. was it was let's call it what it is. It was Christian communism. If you look at Acts two and Acts four, we just went through Acts last year here, but uh, it was it was Christian communism, not just socialism, but communism is like socialism on steroids, and that's what it was. It was Acts two. All who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, and it wasn't just them. It was, we find out in Acts 4, it was the apostles doing it. So there was a centralized, mm-hmm. quote, government, the, the, the mm-hmm. apostles who were the means of production given to people as they had need. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that they had anything that belonged to them was his own. But uh, they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Uh, I mean, that sounds straight up like what Karl Marx wrote in his Communist Manifesto, like that famous kind of uh, articulation of communism. You know, uh, I'll butcher the paraphrase, but it's like, uh, each working unto his abilities, each distributed as unto his needs. So, I mean, that that is what was happening in the earliest church. The difference, of course, is they did it voluntarily. Mm-hmm. They did not do it at gunpoint or in those days at sword point. Um, they were not forced. They, they voluntarily did it because uh, of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so... You know, I think that to, to try and tie this back together for me uh, w- would be to say in a sinful world, at a societal level, governmental, country type, national level, uh, you know, we are, we, we need to, again, call it what it is. We are not a Christian nation, a Christian society. If we were, then uh, Christian communism would probably be the best economic mm-hmm. system for us. If everybody in, in our country was, Christian or even majority actually Christian, then we we should have a real debate about that. But it's not even close. Um, it's such a minority of us that are actually born again believers in this country that uh, it would be just complete folly. Going back to last week's <laughs> sermon on 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 what's practical and mm-hmm. for biblical wisdom, it would be folly for us to even entertain the idea of um, trusting. Uh, the spirit at work, in, but but when it comes to a church level, again, if we're going to be biblical as a church, the way that our mercy ministry here at a, at a, as a church functions should look a lot more like Christian communism, Acts two and Acts four, than it does capitalism. We're not competing against mm. each other yeah. uh, for for that that money that goes into the mercy ministry. We are competing to see how much can I you know, give to mm-hmm. bless others and, you know, as as any had need, it was distributed to them mm-hmm. from the church. So that that's yeah. what our, our church should look like. So even, but even at a societal level, um, what we as Christians personally, individually, our responsibility, you might call it, I, I've heard this term, compassionate capitalism. Um, mm-hmm. We should be compassionately uh, capitalist in terms of, you know, we want to it's, I think competition in the marketplace mm. and, and all of that is, is okay and good. Competition drives um, production and, and uh, innovation, and so that's all great. Cheer for that. Um, and yet uh, we cannot, like you said, Thad, let that 
um, slip into greed, we, we want to be compassionate and we want to be caring toward toward others. Um, so, yeah, I would agree. I mean, capitalism, yeah, compatible with Christianity. I'd uh, I'd agree with um, some of those got questions thoughts. Uh, the systems are good, but sinful nature ultimately can corrupt a system. A quote is, though greed is sometimes evident in the capitalist system, we have to understand it's not because of the system, it's because greed is part of man's sinful nature. Right. Mm. And not just greed. You know, greed is one version of the sin that's dangerous for yeah. the people at the top that control the means of production. You know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. That's the greed at the top. People at the top are going to be greedy. But we didn't even talk about the sin at the bottom of, of the system mm-hmm. because socialism, communism also uh, is going to trigger people's laziness. Sloth is mm-hmm. a sin that we talked about some in last week's sermon sure. as well from Ecclesiastes 10. Absolutely. And the frank reality is it is in a politician's best interest to take more from everyone and give more away to people and, oh, you get a you know free education, you get a free 401k, you get a free you know, health care. And to give and give and give, to be liked, to be elected, that's in the politician's best greed interest, but it's also, you know, serving the laziness of, and again, let's just call it what it is. Yes, are there people out in our society that are truly down and out and have worked their hardest and just have drawn the short straw and, you know, can't seem to get ahead and need a hand, a hand up, not a hand out, but a hand up to get a, you know, help getting up and, and getting ahead? Yes. And should we do that? Yes. As a society, you know, welfare within limits, whatever. But are there also people that are going to game the system that are lazy, that just mm-hmm. want a welfare check and that will take everything, the redistribution of wealth, and they just want to mooch off and, and leech? And yes, there are those people too. And that is a product also, again, of fallen human sinful mm-hmm. nature, That's sloth, laziness, not wanting to work. And the Bible's clear about that. Paul's clear about that. First Thessalonians, if a person won't work, don't let them eat. And so we as a society should stick to that principle. If somebody's not w- willing to, to even try and work, if, if they have the ability to, don't don't give them a handout. So that's that's the other side, I think, of the, the socialism, communism thing that's, that's really dangerous mm-hmm. is that it makes some people greedy and some people lazy. And yeah, you want to avoid both that. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastors. Remember that you can submit your questions by visiting the info bar at West Hills or by asking them online through our website at www.westhillsstl.org. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, hit that like button, consider subscribing, and share it with a friend. And don't forget to tune in again next week. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>